0: 2 Samuel 13, 2 Samuel 13, significantly different approach this evening and I trust that you will be able to catch the analogies that I am drawing as I preach the message, maybe not quite so tedious mentally as some of the messages that have been preached, but I think a very important message to consider as we seek to apply the principles to Our Christianity today. I was really encouraged to see that the vast majority of the college students I invited to come tonight are actually here. (laughs) There were some sitting in the fellowship hall lounging, and I said, You know, I'd love to have you at the service tonight, and they showed up. I was surprised, but very encouraged. I'm glad for others that have come as well. It's been good, and some of you have told me that you weren't able to be here, but have listened online, and I appreciate that as well. Brother Ron Visser is, I believe, going to be used in significant ways in years to come with the material that he has developed that God has directed him to use. And it has not been an exaggeration that what he presented Concerning the difference between openness and brokenness concerning our sin is significant. It's going to be very helpful for any of you that uh, take time to look at that and consider it and then painfully apply it to your life. Um, very encouraging to see. I was preparing for a different message to preach at a pastor's meeting in Indiana And I saw some statistics that I want to begin the service with this evening. The level of trust in religious leaders has dropped to 37% according to the Gallup poll, which is the lowest they have ever recorded. Yet web searches conducted for end times was up 500% in March of 2020. Almost 9 of 10, 88%, experienced what they called unprecedented levels of stress during coronavirus. Five times what was experienced during 9 11. I was surprised to learn this statistic because I actually presumed and mentioned the opposite in a sermon. I said that people just don't get it anymore. We can have hurricanes and tornadoes and half the nation can be burning with fire and we have no clue that it might be God speaking to us. But 62% of Americans believe that the coronavirus is a message from God to humanity to change the way that they live. Folks, that means what your pastor said is true never has the door been wider open to talk to folks 35 million americans who seldom pray or darken the door of a church have started praying during the coronavirus epidemic a majority of christians pray for opportunities to share their faith but less than 10 percent did so in the last month Almost 50% of Christians think that non-Christians have any interest at all in hearing about Jesus. But 78% of on-church people say they would listen to somebody who shared what they believed about Christianity. Folks, we've... I mean, this isn't some preacher making up a story. These are polls that have been taken. I wonder if we're really doing all that we should be doing at this time in our lives concerning the evident work that God is obviously staging in the United States of America. I don't know exactly what to call this message. I don't have a title. I've called it Three Invitations from God. But I'm looking at different ways that God works in our culture to draw our attention toward him. And I hope that you do not judge my theology to the point that you do not get the message. You may think that I'm stretching some things. I don't actually think that I am. I have analyzed my message based on a number of different places in scripture where God has worked with people. Doesn't use this terminology or express it in this way. But I really want us to think about what God is doing in our nation and worldwide in a way that should impact us in our local church and in our personal lives. I want to pray and then ask God to direct us and help you understand these analogies this evening. Father, I ask that you would meet with us again. You've been faithful. Lord, it's not my desire to waste anybody's time, but for it to be profitably spent looking into your word. In considering what it is you are doing in our midst and in this nation at such a unique time. It's easy to look on the dark side. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to find yourself frustrated with what used to be and what is no more. But Lord, we recognize and desire your people to know that you are God. You are on the throne. You're high and lifted up. In your position, your power has not changed and your perspective of humanity has not changed. You love that which is righteous and you hate that which is evil. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize that the power of God is not diminished in the matter of the gospel being that power of God unto salvation. The commission still being the call and the marching orders for the church And for the local church being that means by which you've used to reach this world with the gospel of Christ. I thank you for churches like this that have set the example and have given us a pattern to look at in current day history. In modern circumstances to know that you are still on the move and that you work in exceptional ways. To the end that your glory would be seen. that your people would be stirred with the possibilities and that the lost would be reached with the message of salvation. Pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak to our hearts tonight. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I'm going to take the scriptures and shine the spotlight on three passages that I believe help us understand how God moves to work in the midst of humanity. The first event I put the spotlight on is in 2 Samuel 14. There was a time when Absalom fled because he had killed Amnon, because Amnon had committed sin with Tamar, Absalom's sister. In 2 Samuel 13, 37, we read that David mourned for his son Absalom every day. Because Absalom had fled and he would not come back and did not come back. And when Absalom did not come back to Jerusalem due to Joab's intervention, he was eventually allowed to come back and to see the king, but he was not allowed to see the king for two full years. Trying to summarize this quickly because the story isn't really the point that I'm making, but it is the backdrop for how I believe God works in people. So when Absalom did come back to Jerusalem, Joab intervening so that he would, he still wasn't allowed to see the king for two full years. Frustrated, Absalom tries to get Joab to come and have a conversation about it, but Joab refuses to meet with Absalom. So Absalom decides to have his servants burn Joab's barley field just to get his attention. In 2 Samuel 14 30, we read, therefore he said unto his servants, see Joab's field is near mine. He hath barley there, go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Guess what folks, it worked. Verse 31, Joab says, wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? I'm only using this story to illustrate something when that which we have labored for, that which we have invested in, in barley was just a basic staple of the economy and the culture, and used in necessary life at that time. In the barley field being, there was evidence that work had been put in, seed had been sown, effort had been invested and the fruit was there about to be reaped and it was set on fire and in that moment Joab said what's going on why did you do that I'm only using the story as a reminder that there is a king Jesus who wants to talk to his servants. But sometimes it's hard to get our attention so the king's son sets our barley fields on fire. Now I know you may say you're stretching that and there's no place that the Bible says God actually did that. But to me it reminds me of one way that God works in our midst, in our culture, in our nation. The purpose is to get us to stop long enough to have a focused conversation with Him. I've only preached this message one other time, and it was in our church. I said, Come on now, honestly, how many of you have talked to God a little bit more in the last year than before? How about you guys? I guess you've all done the same. You're you're more spiritual than my church was. Boy, their hands went up. Something about what has happened has gotten us to think about God and have conversations with God, maybe even at times we didn't intend to, not just in the morning, during our devotions, not just during that hour of prayer. But throughout the day, different things happen, and maybe something has frustrated us, and we realize that the inconvenience and the frustration and feeling like our hands are tied in reference to certain things causes us to go to God and ask him what's going on and plead with him to do something about it. I can't think of a time in life when so many significant things have happened at one time to set our world on edge. With the virus in full swing a second time, our world's on edge. It seemed to me like California burned for months this year. We've seen cities set on fire, literally. We've seen the whole concept of our democratic republic threatened. We've seen the stock market plummet and then surge to new highs. We've seen thousands of businesses closed, tens of thousands really, with hundreds of thousands unemployed. We've seen churches forcibly closed and fines levied against them. We've seen civil unrest and heard talk of a second civil war. But it may not occur to us that it's our barley fields, our livelihood that's being impacted by God. So that his servants will come and have a conversation with him. That basic necessity for existence. Representing the fruit of our labor. Had disappeared. When God allows our barley fields. That we've worked so hard. To achieve. To be removed. We assume. I assumed, and this is actually not the way I think, but I still assumed that God was judging the wicked around us. But have we considered that God is moving to get his servants to come and meet with him and talk to him with a focus and a purpose that we've not had before? In spite of our fields burning, is it possible that some still don't take seriously that God's serious. Don't really get a hold of the idea that he really does want to have some dialogue. Not, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let this food to us be blessed. Not the practice prayers, the practice phrases, the religious terminology, but a true heart-to-heart talk with God. Not about the wicked world around us as much as about the carelessness of our lives. The casualness with which we approach him. The conversations that we have that are so rote that we couldn't even say ten minutes later what we said to God. Haven't maybe had an in-depth conversation. have not come to him in a way that communicates. We really need him. You see, Jonah in the belly of the fish began to talk to God. Why? Because his barley field had been set on fire. He was out of options. His plans and what he intended to do came to a screeching halt as he found himself sinking deep into the waves and the depths of the sea until a fish swallowed him up and suddenly Jonah starts talking. You know, Brother Van and I don't know I wasn't there, but I suspect based upon the words we read that he was pretty sincere. I think he was getting at it. He was doing business. He was getting some things straightened out. In a different way, Elijah, sitting under a Jupiter tree, juniper tree, found himself talking to God. Why? He'd met with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and had been victorious. They were destroyed, but one individual told him he was going to experience what those prophets of Baal had experienced. And he felt his barley field was being set on fire. And he talked to God. Israel lost a battle to the small city of Ai with 36 warriors dead. And Joshua did the right thing. Because his barley field had been set on fire, the promise was that they could go in and have victory. They would not be defeated. And I don't believe that God intended anybody to die in those battles. But 36 were dead. And Joshua found himself talking to God. As he should have. Because the barley field was on fire. Now, I want us to be careful because there's so much that has happened in our nation politically, economically, socially, in our churches, religiously and spiritually, that we would tend to refine or define this message or confine the message just to those things. But I'm saying to you that God works in that way in our personal lives. Sometimes it's a report from the doctor. And we start talking to God because our barley field is on fire. The health that we had isn't there anymore. What we counted on, what we depended on, isn't there anymore. Independent of that, I'm getting older than I used to be, and you know what, I just can't do the things I used to do has nothing to do with the children's song and my salvation it has to do with my age not quite as strong and energetic and don't recoup quite as fast from long trips and in a different way God is setting my barley field on fire and saying well I guess what you really need is me sometimes the job changes Sometimes circumstances in the family come upon us. Sometimes unexpected news hits us. And sometimes something happens that we really can't stop, we can't change. We are so used to fixing things with our credit card and thinking, fixing things with our, with our health insurance and with our auto insurance. But once in a while, those things don't cover what we're dealing with. There was a night my dad woke up years ago before insurance was a reality. People didn't have it. And his barn was on fire. And it burned to the ground. And the only reason I bring that up is because we handle all those things so differently today. We have insurance and we just turn it in. And though it's a hassle, it gets taken care of. But there was a day we used to have to trust God. There was a day when things happened that we had to stop and say, wait a minute. I need God. He's speaking to me. I need to depend upon him. Esther was reminded that she wasn't going to escape the wicked plot of Haman, which was in intended to eliminate all Jews, she being one of them. Her barley field was on fire, guess what she did? She fasted and prayed and she encouraged others to join her. The burden of this message isn't for you to analyze this and scrutinize this and see if my analogies are exactly right. We know, we know, we know in our hearts. That we haven't responded and gotten stirred like we should to concerning this matter of talking to God in ways that we haven't done it before. Just getting together, taking time to fast and pray, sitting before God and seeking His face. But I'm doing a whole lot more of that than I was. This year, I organized a prayer meeting on our city square, but that's kind of a fun thing to do. Because our city prays. It's just a unique community. When the lawyers and the police and the sheriff's department show up, they're not there to arrest you. They're there to join you in prayer. We advertised it, we promoted it, and over 300 showed up about three times what typically does for a city prayer meeting. I think some people were sensing that the barley field was on fire. We didn't talk, we didn't introduce anybody, we had a list and they got up one right after another for two and a half hours and prayed on the city square. The people sat there and joined in with us. But more encouraging than many of the good things that have happened in our community in recent years is in December, the chief deputy clerk who happens to be a graduate of our Christian school sent an email to the churches. And it read in part, this invitation is for all believers in churches. We ask that you gather together in your churches, your homes, or come to City Hall to pray. We ask that you pray for our community in whatever way the Holy Spirit directs you. You can pray for our local leaders, municipal employees, unity, help, whatever God lays on your heart. But please pray. It's from our mayor, this by order of our mayor. And please, please invite your children and grandchildren to join in this time of prayer. Also free, feel free to share this information with others in our community that would be interested in participating. I can think of no better way to start the new year. Please join with us in prayer on Friday, January 1st, 2021 from 10 to 11 a.m. I am telling you, I have waited for years to have a political leader anywhere stand up and say, let's get together and pray and not apologize for it. In that prayer meeting, I was able to then talk to the chief deputy clerk, and I said, I want to know what's behind this. He said, well, the mayor and I were talking, and 2020 didn't turn out like we thought it would. The Interstate 69 is going through our community, and so they called 2020 the year of perfect vision, a forward vision to advance our community and to expand and to take advantage of the changes that would be coming because of the interstate and to prepare for changes that maybe wouldn't be that good that were coming because of the interstate. He said none of it turned out like we expected it to. So we got talking. and he said the mayor was all about it. He said, why don't we start the new year with prayer? And I'll tell you, that stuff gets me excited because God has promised that those that put their hope in him will not be ashamed. God has set our mulberry, or set our fields on fire, our barley fields on fire. I just received an email today from our chief deputy clerk, Because I'd asked him, are there going to be any others? I said, I don't want something where it's ritualistic once a month or the first whatever of the month. I said, but will there be other times that we get together to pray because of things that had happened? He said, yes, we've already talked about it. And I got the email today from the chief deputy clerk indicating our next city prayer meeting will be February 14th. That's a Sunday at 2 p.m. Again, inviting us to pray at City Hall at home or at a church because of the drastic changes that are coming to our nation. I don't mind living in a city like that. I don't mind being a part of that. It encourages me. When our barley fields are on fire, which it seems they are, things that we've worked so hard for, ministries that we've established, as I mentioned, the Bible studies in the jail and the RU ministry and all these different things that we put together that were fruitful that we just can't do now. Have we stopped to consider that maybe it's not the wicked nation that God's judging, but rather God communicating to his people, hey, hello, I'm still here. Talk to me. A second way that God works is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. These are not as far a stretch as far as the application as the one that I just gave. But here we find that God's people are successful in conquering the enemy. David has been anointed king and the Philistines hear of it. And they spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Effectively cutting off David's communication from his two key operating points. David was able to defeat them the first time. But when another battle was staged by the Philistines in the same place. David decided he should ask God if he should do the same thing and go whip those rascals. And interestingly God said no. God gave David a different battle plan. We read about it in 2 Samuel 5, 23. And when David inquired of the Lord, he, God said, thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come come upon them over against the mulberry trees. Never preached on this passage, but it just always stirs me for some reason. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. Not something man does, is the way I see this. But something that God's uniquely doing. You say, well, the wind just happened to blow, the Spirit of God was moving. Hear the sound of the going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. David obeyed. Guess what happened? The Philistines were smitten and they were driven out of that area from Geba to Gezer. God burns our barley fields when he wants us to talk to him. God moves with the sound in the mulberry trees when he's ready to enable us to take back lost territory. The position that the Philistines had set themselves in was effective. Effective in hindering David's communication between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Territory that wasn't theirs, territory that was to be God's people. And I'm saying to us, if we believe that these are ways that God works in our nation and among people, in communicating to his people what I would be looking for right now, is a moving in the mulberry trees. I don't know how long the barley fields are going to burn But I believe there will be an end and I believe there will be a time when God begins to stir and I am confident, I am confident, you don't have to agree with me, I am confident that God began to move in the mulberry trees when the mayor contacted us and said I want to start this year in prayer. I am encouraged by that for that very reason, the mulberry trees are stirring and God is going to go before us. There are things that we have prayed about in Martinsville for years. The mayor has joined me personally in some of those prayers. And I expect something to happen. We're not to be looking for whether or not our choice becomes president on january twentieth. But is God setting the stage and preparing the battlefield for his enemies to be defeated? His servants to be victorious and territory to be taken back. I think the stage is set. I'm not sure that we have the wisdom or the eyes to see it. Your pastor is an exceptional leader, and I'm not trying to build him up or butter him up. I'm just saying that this church has become an example to many. That in the midst of burning barley fields, you've got to be looking to the next thing and seeing how God's going to move in the mulberry trees to give you opportunities that you never had before. The Christmas spectacular, did he get it right this time? What is it? No. Tell me what it was. It was festival. Did I say spectacular last time too? Oh, I got it in my head. Next year it'll be the Christmas Spectacular. It's a moving in the mulberry trees. But such a strong testimony that God can work and he can take back enemy territory in spite of what has just happened, in spite of what seems like has been lost. God can take back the enemy territory or the territory that the enemy has taken from us The moving in the mulberry trees represents a significant freedom where there's been a previous restraint, an opportunity to take back what has been occupied by the enemy. Sometimes it may not seem like much, but it's, as it were, a sign from God that he's ready to move forward and take his people forward. Such sounds are the moving of God in the mulberry trees your pastor and i don't know what he's announced so i'm not going to say much but he is envisioning and putting together some ideas this year for the victory conference because he knows that we need to see a mighty move of god those are his words i'm saying we've got to get on board with it Because when God stirs the leader of the church in reference to some things that are going on and he has become the leader of pastors in the United States of America, many places looking to this ministry in frustration because of what we've seen happen even in the midst of Christianity. God's going to move in somebody's heart to talk to him. And in talking to him, God's going to say there's going to be a moving in the mulberry trees. Get ready for it. God burns our barley fields when He wants us to talk. God moves in the mulberry trees when He wants to take back. I'm not trying to make these analogies precise, but when Christ met with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee after that night of fruitless fishing, understanding that that which they had done and had done with skill for so many years just wasn't working. Their barley fields, in a sense, had been on fire, but when Christ came and met with them and talked with them, and they listened to Christ speaking to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Was God setting the stage to move forward? There's a blowing in the mulberry trees that was a moving Esther fasting and going before the king was moving in the mulberry trees. A great victory was going to be won. One that is celebrated still by the Jews today. says every family of the Jews, all of them, celebrated and would continue to celebrate it. Nehemiah one day asked, what, what's it really like in Jerusalem. And the messenger said, it's not good. Things have been torn apart and burned. Nehemiah's heart was broken and he prayed and he begged God and he fasted. And he appeared before the king and the queen being with him, sad of countenance, and when he was asked... He quickly said, Lord, you remember what we talked about, right? And he said, I need some help. I've got to go back to Jerusalem. King said, what do you need? Oh, money, safe passage, some wood. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Take it, go. God was moving in the mulberry trees. I don't know if we really get this or understand it or not, but I am saying that we need to be uniquely discerning and and watching, not, not living in a defeatist attitude, but watching and anticipating, paying attention to what starts happening across the nation. It's probably not going to be all in Baptist circles. Though sometimes that shocks us. But I'll tell you what, God's going to begin to move. I'm confident of it because he's ready to take back territory. I invite you to the third scene as we shine our spotlight there for a while. I invite you to join me in 1 Kings chapter 18. We've already alluded to this. A battle has taken place after a time of famine and judgment from God. God had burned the barley fields in Israel for three and a half years at the prayer of Elijah, his servant. But God moved in that servant's heart one day to go and call for a meeting on Mount Carmel and there they met and the 850 prophets came. 400 and 450 together. The story's familiar and after showing no support for Elijah Standing there, can you imagine God's man, God's prophet? Saying, it's time to make a decision whose side are you on? And they answered him, not a word. But nonetheless, God's faithful servant moves forward. Stages the contest between the prophets of Baal and Jehovah God. We know the story, the fire falls and consumes the sacrifice. And in that moment, Israel falls on their faces to say, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Finally, their tongues are loosed and they get a hold of the reality that Jehovah is the God. Not Baal, whom has been worshipped so openly for so many years. And I'm just saying in that moment, the mulberry trees started moving. And yet there was more of a spiritual work to do. I want you to notice verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. Now I understand that Ahab was told to go eat and drink. I probably wouldn't have invited him to the prayer meeting either. I don't imagine he would have added much to it. I'm saying sinful people do what sinful people do the second that there's any kind of a hope of restoration. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go eat and drink again, just going to feed their flesh. If there is any kind of a reprieve, if there is any kind of a recovery, they'll feed their flesh. I remember the days just before the last election. I have some connections in Washington, D.C. People I know had a cousin that was there as a congressman. And Trey Hollingsworth and others that I know were there and even Mike Pence, been to the Bible study that he hosts in his office at least three times. But before that election, both sides of the aisle were cramming into word of an eyewitness account of a person I know. Cramming into a room that wasn't big enough for them, but they were cram- cramming into this room, crying out to God, begging men and ladies, literally lying flat on their faces before God in the Capitol building. Begging God to spare our nation. And then we got what we thought we wanted and we went back to eating and drinking. Oh, we committed to pray, but we didn't really. Wasn't long and things were going well and the economy was prospering, exploding. We went back to eating and drinking. We didn't finish the job. So in verse 42 of 1 Kings 18, we read, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. Yeah, of course he did. And Elijah went up to the top of, the car, of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. He said, go again. I don't think he said go again seven times. I think he said go again and he came back and nothing. Go again, come back, nothing. Go again, come back, nothing. Go again, come back. He did that seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, the servant said, behold, there ariseth. (laughs) God is so precise. Ariseth a little cloud out of the sea. Like a man's hand. Folks, I'm telling you, after three, day, three years, three and a half years of nothing, a cloud the size of a man's hand is something. It's cause for hope. And as Elisha is praying and that cloud comes out of the sea, he now says, Go up, say unto Ahab, Baab, prepare thy chariot, get thee down that the rain stop thee not. When we're waiting for God to move in a powerful and miraculous way, we should look often to the sky. Look often heavenward. Not to the economy, not to the elected officials, not to science, but to the sky, to the God of heaven. Elijah, after the victory, cast himself to the ground, put his face between his knees in anticipation toward the west. And he did not quit until his servant came back with a message. There's a little cloud like a man's hand. Too many of us with Ahab are going up to eat and drink when there still is spiritual work to be done. Too many want to get on with life, frustrated by the distraction, instead of encouraged by the opportunity. First Kings eighteen forty five says, and it came to pass in the meanwhile, comes back a little hand there. They're getting their things together. Gathering together their carriage, whatever they did back then, that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. How many times, friends, have we asked God not just for the showers of blessing, but an abundance of rain? How many times have we used that analogy to ask God to bring us revival? How many times have we sung the songs and prayed the prayers? But it seems like when things get back to normal, we kind of get back to our daily business and don't stop and take the time to keep talking to God until the shower actually comes. The cloudburst, the abundance of rain. Burning of the barley fields, an invitation to talk, the sound of the moving of the mulberry trees, an invitation to take back enemy territory. But when that enemy territory is taken back, I fear that we would quit. What God really wants us to do, and that is seek for the sound of abundance of rain. That is an invitation to anticipate in prayer on our faces before God. A great movement. A great movement. Has to begin with talking to God. It's got to be, continue with an alertness that God's moving and he's ready to take back territory. But it can't stop until the cloud appears in the sky and the rain is on its way. C.S. Lewis, as recorded in World Magazine, page 43, 1121 of 20, is quoted or spoken of. The article says, nearly 70 years ago, Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote about a time when it really did seem like the world could come to an end. It was the dawn of the atomic age. Lewis essentially urged his Christian readers to heed the British government's advice, to keep calm and carry on in the face of deep fears and potential harm. I quote him now, if we are all going to be destroyed by the atomic bomb, Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends, not huddled together like frightened frightened sheep and thinking about bombs, Lewis added that this kind of fear and unease after a season of national prosperity could actually be a gift if it would awaken Christians to service and engagement with others about biblical truth. We have been waked from a petty dream, and now we can begin to talk about realities. I preached this sermon having no idea that there has been a song written about barley fields burning. Probably not our style of music. There's a call that rings from the throne that springs. To those now gone astray saying, come ye men from your load of sin. There at the altar lay. Many do not heed that the chains of greed, that their conscience never tire. Be assured, my friend, if you still offend he'll set your fields on fire. Now, if you don't from sin retire, he'll set your fields on fire. You've heard Jesus call, and in death your soul must fall. Now, my friend, if you desire, you may join the heavenly choir and rejoice with him free from every sin when he sets this world on fire. I'm just saying it's got to start with talking to God. We know the barley fields are burning, but we maybe think it's about all the wicked people in the world and not about us getting serious with God. I challenge us to look for a moving of the mulberry trees. I think we're already seeing indications of that in different ways in our nation, our communities. But if we have the privilege of taking back enemy territory, don't stop. It's time to get on our knees heads down between our knees and ask God for the abundance of rain. We will give an invitation tonight, but I'm hoping I got done just a little bit earlier that maybe we could just pray a little bit tonight. I'm not talking about long and I'm not talking about long prayers, but just ask God to go from the burning barley fields to the moving in the mulberry trees that we might truly anticipate the abundance of rain. Father, would you move in our midst tonight? Help us to respond to you. Some need to start talking to you more purposed than they have been. Others need to be sensitized to that moving in the mulberry trees and what it really means and what it looks like and what the enemy territory is that's to be taken back. We tend to think politically and economically, but I suspect you're not thinking that way. You're thinking souls, people in darkness, lives that need to be changed by the eternal message of the gospel. And then, Lord, that we would commit to stay before you until the outpouring comes, the abundance of rain. Would you cause us to respond to you tonight in a way that would please you? In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.